Hey, what's up, guys? This is Gavin Shaw, the Locked On Knicks podcast. And today I'm joined by Gibson Piper, the mind, the coach behind Half Court Hoops, to explain why the Knicks defense has gone from one of the NBA's worst to its best. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, podcast, and I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks the first listen today. And every day we're now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube, so please do us a big favor. Go throw us a subscription and enjoy our smiling faces, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Typically, I'd be joined on this podcast by the fantastic Alex Wolf, the editor-in-chief of The Strickland, but today we have a very special guest. Instead, it is Gibson Piper. Um, he is a longtime basketball coach, a former consultant uh, for the Dallas Mavericks for a number of division one college basketball teams. Um, So certainly a guy who knows his stuff and he made a video um, that is, is just excellent explaining how the New York Knicks turned around their season titled. These two players are the key to the Knicks winning streak. So for the, for the full video, go check that out on YouTube. But uh, if you want the specifics on how the New York Knicks have turned around their season, which players are responsible, and why Obi Toppin and Cam Reddish were a little bit more liable for the Knicks' struggles than you might think. Check it out right now as we talk to Gibson. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined by Gibson Piper, the mind behind the fantastic Half Court Hoops YouTube channel. Uh, Gibson, welcome to Locked On Knicks. Uh, The reason you're here is a happy one. The Knicks' defense is much improved, and and you made uh, an incredibly thorough and uh, something I learned a lot from a video about how the Knicks uh, turned it all around defensively. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was uh, it was an adventure for sure. Yeah, was there was there, was there some trauma from watching the early season Knicks defense? It was like, wow, this guy he really really went into the muck. And and I know I I come out of some of those games with a bad mood, so I can't imagine just sitting down and watching it over and over and over again. Maybe you're a little less invested, but. I'm definitely less invested. Um, I try to stay as neutral as possible, especially when when looking at teams. Um, I'm a Cavs fan and then Pelicans fan second. Um, so I'm not as invested in the Knicks as you know everybody who watches on a day to day basis. But from a coaching standpoint, you know the 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 whole project kind of started off with like, why are they so bad, right? Like, I looked at the starting lineup and and the, the most commonly used lineups. The best lineup, you know, was a pretty above average defensive lineup. I think they were like 11th at the time. Um, and then inserting Grimes into that obviously really improved. And so I'm like, all right, why are they so they were 20, uh, 24th when I started the project. So I was like, okay, why are they so bad? And then as I started it, they went on the five game winning streak they're on right now. And, uh, usually when I go through, uh, I, I can find out pretty quickly why they're bad, but it was basically, uh, going through each clip and there was times where I would just audibly be like, what, what are you doing? Like, it just didn't make any logical sense when you watch them. Some of the rotations, some of the decision-making they made by specific players were just like, what, what are you doing? Like that doesn't even make any sense. If you play NBA basketball, 
they teach you basically two to three main ways to play defense, especially Tibbs, who's a defensive mastermind. Hmm. And it's like, it just didn't, it just didn't make any sense at all. And so, um, yeah, there were some audible gasps and some, when I name my files, I usually name it, um, you know, like the action. So it'd be like ball screen up the touch, good hedge, you know, good, good drop, whatever the, the notes are in the file name. So that way when I'm going through the clips, I can see, okay, this is a great clip. This is a good clip. And then, like half the clips from like Obi and Cam in particular were like, what are you doing? Like all caps, what are you doing? I can't, I can't believe this. Like it was just, it was pretty shocking at times. Yeah. So let's, that's actually, I think a good place to start because in, I think most Knicks fans minds, the the culprits were pretty clear if, if the um, strategic failings weren't always, I mean, you would just see all these plays, right. Where, guys would seemingly miscommunicate on a screen or or one player just wouldn't go and they would give up open three after open three. And you combine that with lack of effort in transition. And you combine that with, with guys not being in the right help spots. And, and it was just a, a parade of easy shots for other teams. And 95% of the ire I saw out there, and, and I'm, I'm certainly not blameless. This was on my end too, was directed at Julius Randall and RJ Barrett. And I think Julius is always an easy target because he never, really wants to take blame for anything. And and it was a consistent situation of him. I'm sure you saw this on film a ton, just um, like not, not really helping or, or letting a guy stroll on by him for a bucket and then pointing at someone else constantly. And and we were trying to kind of be objective about it. Like, all right, was that someone else's fault? Like, why is he always blaming someone else? Like, why does it seem like he's never moving? And then RJ just looked way out of shape to start this season. But Obi, I think because he's so beloved by Knicks fans, got a pretty significant break. But after watching your video, I, I knew I had a little bit more sympathy for Tom Thibodeau when, when we were all asking, why isn't this guy playing a whole lot more? But wh- what did you see from him specifically um, on film? Yeah, the interesting part is I think his best position is probably a small ball center, mm-hmm. right? In terms of like his his versatility that he could bring on offense as a rim runner, as uh, you know maybe even a secondary playmaker on the roll. Um, and then, but defensively, it's obviously not his his strength because he's not literally not strong and he doesn't really move his feet like I thought he would be able to for someone who's as athletic as he is he shuffles a little too much like in in hesitation and so when you play him and pair him with Julius Randle and and Randle was definitely not innocent leading up to the the uh, new winning streak that they have now he's been a lot more locked in a lot more attentive on defense um, but you pair those two together and it was just kind of like a, a comedy of errors at times like three straight possessions where Randall would fall asleep Obi overhelps, Obi can't defend a pick and roll correctly and it would just be layup layup three and, and it would just be a culmination of both those guys impacting each other at times but the problem with Obi is he just like he just does things that don't make any sense. Like there was one play that I'd highlighted against the Hawks, which even, you know, in a win where it was a drive, the drive was cut off and Hartenstein was in help. Like he was the next guy rotating over. There was no need to help. And then Obi just leaves the opposite corner, runs into help, jumps up in the air. When his man's on the wing, he jumps when the guy's going to pass to the corner and it just leads to an open three. I mean, it wasn't a very talented player. He was guarding, but still it just like, those you don't you don't watch the best teams and see those kind of errors right like those those specific plays where it's just like why why are you jumping there like why are you why are you not staying solid using your length like why why are you not moving your feet and being in the correct position and so many times where he would rely on an athletic move 
on defense where it didn't call for it, right? Like you can be a good athlete on offense and a bad athlete on defense because teams can use that athleticism against you. And so like if he's defending the pick and roll, um, I can't remember the team that uh, it was, uh, it was the actually against OKC because I'm doing a shake, which I was going to break down now. And uh, Shea came off a ball screen and it was a, a, a pick and pop situation. And normally in those scenarios, if Obi's guarding that, it would be him at the level where he's basically almost touching his man. And then as the ball screen comes, he should take the guy driving and then tell the player guarding the ball to take the pick and pop man. Right. And so it's, and then what happened was, is Shea drove, I think Derek Rose was guarding him. And then Obi stayed at the free throw line the entire time. Like he didn't guard the ball and then he didn't guard the pop. And he was just kind of like shuffling in no man's land. And there was just too many of those mistakes often enough that it was just like, you know, I know the numbers say that he's a pretty good defender, but like, I, I just, I don't know where that comes from too much because I just watched him. Like, I don't, I don't know if he knows what he's doing all the time. All right, guys, when we come back on Locked On, Knicks, Gibson is going to dive deep on the issues that Cam Reddish had on the defensive end of the floor. But first, Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want whenever you want it from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, and Australia, plus the U.K. Book a spacious SUV or a minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive the new electronic vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits into your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. Yeah, and I, I think he was the beneficiary of, of getting most of his minutes with Emmanuel Quickly, who who is obviously a on on off god. I, I, I still to this date, or at least going to last night's game, number one in the NBA in that capacity. And I, I think Obi gets a pass sometimes because he he to the to the naked eye, right? He looks very active. It always seems like he's moving, he's doing something. And, and typically, when Julius made errors, um, they were errors of inactivity. And with Obi, you're like, all right, well, at least he's like he's in the vicinity. But you, I, I think you did a really good job breaking down like, yeah, he's moving, but he doesn't really know why he's moving or where he's going or what he's supposed to do when he gets there. And and to your point, that would you you combine that with maybe Julius's like apathy at points and, and RJ just getting blown by. And it, it would just lead to these these like systemic breakdowns where it's like one thing going wrong, then another, then another. And all of a sudden there's a wide open shot. But the, the other name you mentioned that really intrigued me is cam reddish because I, I think he's another guy who amongst knicks fans and, and on this podcast the perception was all right he is the um along with mitchell robinson when mitch was healthy early in the season he was the lone bright spot in the starting lineup and, and you would see him make these these flash plays and, and and kick off transition by picking off a pass and just getting a tip on it and then sprinting down the floor for a dunk and and that felt so essential for the knicks because no one else outside of quickly really did that for new york in the early going but in terms of some of the quieter stuff and, and, and what he did off the ball and, and even sometimes on the ball, what did you see in terms of his weaknesses on that end? Because I, I think as, as much as a couple of bad games offensively seemingly was the tipping point for Tibbs sitting him, um, I, I think you do a good job in this video outlining like, all right, it, it might have been some stuff on the other end as well. Yeah, I don't think um, offensively was ever his problem. Like, I think he's 
He's a a capable scorer and somebody who can who can you can probably rely on even on as a, as a second unit, almost like a lead man at times where he has a chance to make a significant offensive impact. I think he's a good shooter. I think he's a good driver, not a great decision maker, but you're not necessarily looking for that in a secondary, you know, second unit guy. So when, when you watch like him defend, it's definitely not a tools problem, right? Like he's he's tall. He's long. He's athletic. He, I think he has pretty good quickness and, and shiftiness on the defensive end. It's more of a focus, a mindset, and a positioning problem. So he, he would do two or three great things in a row in a defensive possession. Against the Warriors, he, made a good, he did a good job switching off on a pick and pop, and they made the good read, and they stopped basically the possession. And then he just stood there and watched as this guy cut right in front of his face for a dunk. Uh, they did a good job loading in transition one time where he they did a good job stopping the ball against OKC again, stopping the ball. And then he was guarding his man in the corner and Lou Dort just cut right behind him and walk in for a layup. And it was like those those blown possessions stand out so much more to coaches than they will to fans, because, uh, you know, I'm going to say the average fan doesn't watch the game in slow motion back right doesn't doesn't watch the game twice doesn't clip it out in slow motion and re recognize everything that happened in a possession you know there's a there's 100 possessions in a game you're gonna miss most of what's actually actually happening on the court right you see the overarching theme that kind of what you're talking about where he may make a steal and get a dunk where everything else is going miserably for the knicks and it's like wow like he made something happen he got a steal and got a dunk but the same that same steal also has four or five other examples of him gambling in a gap and getting beat back door or gambling and getting out of position. And then that results into the other team being able to have an advantage. And maybe it's a third player off the ball scoring, hitting a three, whereas he didn't get scored on, but the, the result of his actions, you know, his gamble ended up in a score. So those are, those are the tricky parts when it comes to evaluating a true defensive impact. So the coaching staff sits in the room and they're like, well, Cam missed these five straight possessions on defense. We can't play him in the second half. And that's what's kind of led into, into some of this decision-making. Yeah. And I, I guess I kind of wanted to explore the, the, the bigger picture schematic stuff as well, because there, there, there was certainly, I, I remember even as far back as when Tibbs was first hired, there were questions, are right, does, does his scheme still work? And, and at points with the Knicks, that answer has been a, a resounding yes, right? His, his first season, the Knicks, I, I think finished second in the NBA in, in defense, certainly were top five last year. Um, Pretty bad start post all-star break. Once they settled in, um, once Kemba Walker was fully out of the rotation, they led the NBA in defense um, this season. Um, as, as, as you noted, and uh, we've talked about a lot on this podcast at, at one point, um, I think, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was probably about a month ago. They were 26 in the NBA in defense and, and all the teams behind them were pretty aggressively tanking. Um, and, and now you have this big flip and it seems like, all right, all of a sudden they can play defense again. And, and so much of it is, personnel base but what do you think of the system Tibbs runs and at least again I, I I'm this is something you noted in your video but to me this was one of the bigger culprits earlier in the year I thought at times he overemphasized protecting the paint at the expense of, of leaving shooters wide open and, and you'd see these possessions where a guy was just grossly over helping on a drive where it wasn't necessary and they'd have two feet in the paint and, and, and his man would be out behind the arc wide open for a three-pointer. And I, I guess from the outside looking in, it, it's hard to divorce. All right. Is that a player kind of getting over eager or is that Tibbs preaching like, Hey, we can't allow paint points. We can't allow paint points no matter what. 
and, and giving up wide open threes to, as you know, in the video at times, poor shooters, but if they're NBA players and they have 10 feet of space, they're, they're going to go in more often than that. Yeah. And I think you kind of hit it right there where we don't, you know, we're dealing with half the information, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're dealing with film and stats, but we're not in the coaches meetings. We're not in, in when they're talking about what they're going to do and how they're going to do. It. And every game is different, right? Where you may say, Hey, you know, no matter who's, you know, no matter who's Hartenstein's guarding, he's going to be the help man, right? Like we don't know if that's what they're, they're saying and, and emphasizing in those meetings, so trying to glean that information, you know, makes sense to where you're like, okay, this is where it should come from, but maybe they just want their bigs helping no matter what, no matter who they're guarding. And that's where teams like the Thunder and like the Mavericks can give you problems if you play five out and you make your big the help guy and they just put the big at the top of the key like Kleba or, you know, a good three-point shooter. That's where the problems can really hurt you. So, you know, they, they definitely overhelp, which has been uh, – there's not really a correlation between – uh, teams that overhelp or teams that underhelp or give up the most threes or don't give up any threes that 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 make it to where this is a good defensive system in the NBA. It's all based on on every team's personnel and kind of uh, tweaking and experience. So the Bucks, for example, I did a breakdown on their defense this year. The previous three years under Budenholzer, they essentially were playing the Knicks defensive system where it was like overhelp in the paint, forget about three point shooters, let the variance, you know, you know results as, as they may come yeah the same thing with the heat heat are the number one team in the nba right now they allow the most three-pointers from the defensive system i think the knicks are second right now 29th uh, i just clean the glass for all my stats and stuff that i reference and so you know there's not it's not like oh the knicks are over helping it's a bad system because of this it would be they over helped and then didn't recover properly right like it was never when I watched it, you know, typically speaking, it was never the first drive that beat them. It was never the first action that beat them. It would be a drive and overhelp, and then nobody would rotate next. Nobody would recover. The the recovery with angle was off. Like all these little things that would add up to a catastrophic mistake for a layup or an open three. So when you see a drive, let's say you know, the Mavericks are playing five out and a drive from the wing comes and the big helps, right? No matter where he is, he helps either off the corner, opposite wing, doesn't matter. It was never that initial help that was the mistake, right? Let's say that's what they want to do. That's what they, they set their defense. Robinson's all automatically the help guy in every situation, right? He helps. It was never, that was never the culprit, right? He may help properly, but it was the secondary help after or the rotations afterwards. And then a drive afterwards that would usually end up to another open three or a layup or, or something else being a mistake after that. All right, guys, when we return from Gibson, what exactly did Juice McBride and Quentin Grimes do to transform the Knicks defense? But first, betonline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and the World Cup. We've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. What was the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including the latest odds on your New York Knicks? They are four and a half point favorites to beat the Golden State Warriors tomorrow. I'm riding with the winning streak, baby. Let, let, let's go kick some Warriors butt. Uh, I am taking uh, the New York Knicks minus four and a half to win that game. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online. It's where the game starts. Yeah, and it it you, you get the feeling now that to your point, I think they've changed some stuff schematically. Like Julius is, is kind of being used in switch a little bit more than in drop. 
but the biggest difference is obviously just having Deuce McBride and Quinn Grimes in there. And I mean, even it was, this was, I referenced this play the other night, but two games ago, you had a play where, where RJ Barrett didn't make the proper rotation and his man was wide open at the wing. So Deuce rotated. I mean, this was beyond what he's supposed to do, but he rotated from two spots over sprinted out and got a hard contest on it. And you're seeing RJ and Julius more engaged, but even in the plays where they seem to fall asleep, there are guys that are so good that they're, doing extra and covering up for their errors. But what, what have you seen Gibson in, in terms of what has driven the, the Knicks improvement over these five games? Yeah. And you know, that's honestly defense is mostly effort <laughs> after mistake, right? Like, or uh, you know, I, I would say it's probably, you know, 60% effort in the NBA, especially uh, in high school, it's a little bit more effort driven uh, college kind of same way. But NBA is basically 60 to 70 percent. If you put in the effort, you can usually get a good contest. And even if you do contest, I mean, NBA players just make shots. So sometimes you can play perfect defense and it just doesn't matter. But the biggest driver of that has been the point of attack defense, right? Just removing a couple of the the weak points, whether it's Obi's injury or, you know, Reddish, you know, not in the rotation, Rose out of the rotation, Forney out of the rotation, and just playing eight guys who care about defense. And if you have your, your point of attack defense set up by Grimes and Brunson, who Brunson isn't and never will be a great defender, but he tries. He's at least a good positional defender. He tries hard and like he's, he, he makes an effort. So if you have three or four of the five players on the court giving an effort and you're Julius Randle, you're more inclined to give an effort, right? Like that's, that's just what happens. It just is, it comes naturally. And if, if you know that, you know, you can make a mistake and, and Grimes or McBride is going to recover for you, you're more willing to pass them the ball on offense too, right? So the ball moves a little bit more on offense, which we'll probably touch on at, in, in a little bit. But um, but the the point of attack defense with Grimes, Brunson, and McBride have all been really good, right? So there's, there's not as much um, opening up of the hips and just letting a guy drive into the lane, relying on the help. Sometimes when teams help like the Knicks do, there is an over-reliance on, I can press up here, and if I get beat, that's okay. We got help behind me. We know we're going to help, right? But then what would happen was, is let's say, you know, Reddish would, would get blown by way too easily a point of attack defense. Instead of, you know, Reddish gets blows by, the help comes. Instead of rotating and having Reddish recover to the next guy, his next man, or, or finding the next guy, he would just stop or stay on his man, leaving two or three on the ball in the paint and no recovery. And that's when the problems would start. With McBride and Grimes in particular, when they get beat, which is not often, but when they even give up a drive, they do a great job of rotating to the next spot and giving multiple efforts off of that. So it's it's a combination of not allowing blow by drives. Like Grimes did such a good job on Trey Young in the Hawks game, mm. you know, cutting off the angles and, and stopping the dribble penetration. Trey loves to reject ball screens, so I thought he did a great job of corralling him on those. I mean, Trey's Trey is going to get get his his scores and, and assists, but making it as hard as possible is what the goal of defense is. And so Grimes did a fantastic job. McBride was awesome on Herder in that Kings game. Uh, and so just those those two just being out there and stopping those little early drives. And then when they do get beat or if they get beat on like a ball screen or whatever, their ability to recover is just so much better than what it has been. It just makes everything more simple for everybody else on the court. 
And what what role do you think Mitchell Robinson has played in, in this success? Because people are, are really highlighting what he's doing offensively. And I thought early in the season, he was he was the only, I mean, I, I think honestly, he, he was the difference between them. Not, not that they played a lot of games in October, but they were 15th in the NBA in defense in October. He goes out with an injury and it all sort of falls apart in November. And he was kind of the one guy cleaning everything up and, and there would be a cascade of mistakes and he would find a way to, to make it irrelevant. Do you see him as kind of one of the premier defensive bigs in the NBA? Or, or do you think he's a notch below that? Because I know as a rookie, I mean, we, we watched him play and we're like, wow, this guy, like he could, he could be Rudy Gobert, like with his uh, ability to switch out onto the perimeter. He was blocking James Harden step backs. And it still feels like he's lost a little bit of that athleticism and a little bit of that perimeter mobility at the expense of him being a much stronger rebounder and, and even stouter around the rim. But what, what role do you think he's played in all of this? Yeah, he's done a great job. I mean, you need, you always need rim protection. I think he's done a great job. Um, I think the Knicks uh, are giving up 66% shots, uh, field percentage at the rim, which is outstanding. Mm. Um, I don't think he is in the top tier of bigs and rim protectors, mainly because he doesn't have um, like a Brooke Lopez level of discipline. And that can come with time. He's got, you know, time to improve, obviously. But there, there were times where, uh, you know, if he did get switched in the lane on, on a guard or if a guard was driving where he would bite too quickly on a pump fake or where he would be up in the air instead of being solid and just using his length and wingspan. Um, so if he improved his discipline, in my opinion, just from some of the clips that I've, I've, I've clipped out, uh, I think he would be he could get to that top level. But I don't know. Right now, I would not have him at the same class as like a Brook Lopez, uh, a Giannis, you know, Rudy Gobert, those those top tier guys where, you know, you know, they're going to, you know, veteran experience, obviously, uh, you know, remain disciplined. Don't foul, you know, don't bite on pump fakes. Use your length. You're bigger than them. Things like that, where I think are like the next steps for him in, in years to come. And and we're talking about a guy who who basically couldn't walk without fouling out of a basketball game early right. in his career. So the, the the trajectory is definitely positive. All right, guys, we will be back in just a couple hours with more from Gibson. That's right. The fun is not over. Um, in part two of this episode, we we, we get into some individuals. Um, we, we talk about how Julius Randle has shored himself up defensively. A little bit on, on Jalen Brunson holding his ground. Um, and a whole bunch of other Knicks before talking about the Knicks' ultimate ceiling on defense and what types of plays they can add in to fix up their offense. So all that and more next time uh, with Gibson. And, and next time is just a short ways away. So we'll be putting that episode up this afternoon. But until then, I'm Gavin Shaw. This was Locked on Knicks. Talk to you soon. Peace out.